Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of the Offsite Podcast, where we chat all things construction and technology. My name's Carlos, and I spend most of my days talking to construction teams about how they deliver projects. And I'm Jason, and I help build software that construction teams use to deliver their plans. How are you doing, Carlos? I'm good, thanks. How are you, birthday boy? <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about the birthday after a certain age. Oh, I was going to sing it all on my own. Happy <laughs> birthday, but we'll, we'll save that for another day. <laughs> uh, we'll insert that here. No, no. Um, <laughs> uh, busy. I've been on the last, uh, the last two weeks I've been on site a lot, which uh, is good to get out of the office um, and remind yourself that like, yeah, what it's like to deliver a construction project. You know, you, 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 you immediately have the, 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 the feeling comes back of like the chaos and like the amount of things that are happening all at the same time and um, the amount of things that are going wrong all at the same time. And uh, a good reminder that like when you're away from that and you're building tools or software or whatever you're thinking about and you're thinking about a persona doing this or that and um, you can kind of forget and block out all of the other stuff that's going on in their day. And yeah, it's a chaotic, it's a chaotic day. Yeah. Last year I went to a site and obviously we're, we're so focused on like this Gantt chart with our map page and like where people are working. When you actually go out of sight and see how congested it is, you're like, how the fuck do they actually do this? Um, like there's so much going on. Um, so you forget how, yeah, particularly in cities, the, the amount of space you have actually to work with is crazy. Um, super impressive how they actually tackle it to be fair. But, um, yeah, always good to get Yeah, it's what see. gets me a lot about like uh you know like the 4D schedules and and BIM and stuff and how it all feels like a like a beautiful version of like uh the Sims or Sim City or something. Yeah, and then yeah. when you get out there it's like it's just people screaming at each other, honking, yeah. uh you know parking it's it's um yeah, it's much dirtier and grimier and chaotic than uh than it looks like in in a simulation. Yeah, 100%. You can't just grab and drop drop with that hand or a crane into position and suddenly it's there and you're using it it's like a full operation right so today we're going to be talking about uh some of the latest news re related to high speed 2's two-year delay uh, but first up we're going to chat design now we all see in the news uh projects that are being cancelled um or, or delayed due to spiraling costs and that is often driven by design. So a lot of these contracts, you're sort of refining the design. You then try to agree a cost with the client. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Or due to spiraling costs, you have a redesign and you try and make things work with the budget at hand. So I guess, Jason, what is it about the design phase on large infrastructure projects that you think causes the most grief for teams? Uh, yeah, where do you start? I, so I wrote about this recently um and i wrote about it because i uh, i i couldn't work out why it wasn't extremely obvious to everyone why all of them end up in that in that situation because every pro every major infrastructure project that had a design and constructor or an epc type element to it has followed for me uh, and i'm you know maybe i'm in this minority of uh, very unlucky outcomes but for me everyone has followed the similar playbook like uh, as a contractor, we sort of signed up to some design and construct scope where uh, in our scope was some development or completion of design. And so you tender on uh, like almost unknown unknowns, you know, like you're going to build a house, but what's the, you know, 
what's the house supposed to look like? How big is it? What's the room? You know, um, there's so many unknowns when you tend to that, that it's, it's impossible to get right. And so you start with that as your starting point. And then once you start trying to deliver the job, well, you need to like, okay, you start with this schedule that says we'll do the design and then we'll do the construction. And then once you in that schedule, you make some assumptions that like, we'll do a design, we'll send it to the client to review they'll review it, maybe they'll approve it, maybe they'll have a few little comments and then we'll submit it again and we'll go off and build it. And then when it comes to the actual delivery of the project, you do the design, you send it to the client, they rip it to shreds, you do the, you redo it again and then you submit it again and then it gets ripped to shreds and you do like three, four, five different reviews. And the, like these projects are so complex in their requirements that you end up situ- situations where it might say that I used this example in a previous conversation around like the thickness of a wall or glass or something. And then a, another performance requirements that needs to have a certain thermal performance. And so you do the design once for the thickness and then another requirement comes and changes that like supersedes that, that, um, specification. So the, the point is like the design phase is so complex. And the whole time you're trying to do it, you've got this like sword of Damocles hanging over your head that you're supposed to start construction in two months or something or three months. And if you don't, the whole schedule's late from the start. And put on top of that, like the 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 the, the design phase is unlike the construction phase, one where as it starts to slip, uh, those looking at the schedule can find it easy to rework the logic of how we were going to deliver the design. And so what I mean by that is in a construction phase, maybe you're going to build a building, you're going to go levels one, two, three, four, five. And if one's late, you really don't have many options to do three before one's finished. <laughs> yeah. But in the design, yeah, in the design phase, if like a certain package of the design is late, it's very easy to just like break all the logic in the schedule and say, well, we'll just keep doing things concurrently. Um, or what happens, what also happens is the, like you break the design into all these mini sections. So you might've had a schedule that said, we'll do package one, two, three in design and then build package one, two, three. And then they start getting late and okay, what we need to do is get like a part of one started. So let's try and break one into like one A and B and see and break it like one uh then what happens is like three packages of design go into nine packages of design and now all of a sudden you've got the same set of designers doing like nine times the amount of work nine times the amount of re- or three times if i get my math right three times the amount of reviews and so this like cycle starts to spiral because breaking designs into smaller packages kicks you through that review process more times. The more review processes equal more comments. And then ultimately construction starts on site, then issues start coming from the site, which or changes from the construction team where they're trying to like value engineer something. And just all of this complexity and chaos is all just builds and builds and builds through the phase or the client issues another instructed change 
and this just keeps building and building and building through this phase to the point where on on so many projects i've been involved on like the the design phase is still going like past the planned construction end date like i don't <laughs> yeah. know if you had a similar experience on on previous on on crossrail or previous jobs yeah i think i think one thing that really makes me feel stressed and i'm glad i never worked in a design team is the knock-on effect or the ripple effect from changing one thing and it changes everything like it must be so difficult to keep like balancing everything because of little changes. Like if we tie it back to like design, if, if Rob changes the spacing on something that needs to change on the entire product. Right. And it's like the same sort of idea that you have to check everywhere. And that's why there's so many reviews and teams and checkpoints because everyone has their specialism and they need to check for their part of that aspect of the design, which I'm sure, technology should be able to help in a big way at some point to reduce that uh, yeah and it's really it's really hard because it, like like you've got the you've got yeah your point's exactly right where it's you, you make one change and it changes in so many different places and that's difficult if you were just doing a complex design on its own if you then add on top of that that that's like your three quarters into the design and a third of what you've designed has already been constructed suddenly the thing that you've changed is not just changing like the design in a bunch of plots you've now got to like bore a hole through a wall and then the team goes to put the hole through the wall and then something else goes wrong yeah. and that's getting more change like it's yeah. it's just a complete death spiral yeah yeah uh, i can't say it any other way <laughs> yeah it's a nice way of putting it when it comes to schedule as well there's no way they're gonna to win a tender, assume the amount of back and forth because you're just not going to win that tender. So there's never enough allowance for completing these design. They just say, okay, right, contract says response in 14 days. There's 14 days done. They're not going to assume like that's going to happen six times. So that already is straining schedule. Um, I remember on Crossrail, we get to the point where <laughs> it's basically design saying, yeah, that's probably not going to change, but they haven't got to construction status drawing. They're still on P, which is can't remember what P standard stands for now. Um, the client won't actually give you an instruction to proceed. So the contractor's going at risk and then they build something and then they go, oh shit, I forgot about this. And then you tear it down. And it's just like the materials, the labor, the cost, the program, everything is just blown out because you're constantly battling this desire to progress the job. But there's just too much the ripple effect of that change just it's it's chaos yeah it's, it's ignoring the real consequence right because like you said it feels good to progress the job and from a schedule perspective okay in right now in the short term if we get this concrete pour theoretically like the schedule we're on schedule yeah we're not late well, the bit that's not yet hit the schedule is the fact that like we've just built we've just built a problem that in like six months time is going to fucking pop up and yeah, you know, add another two months or something. And and so it's no wonder like why so many big mega projects are like okay and kind of on schedule until they're about a year from completion. And then it's like actually it turns out we're three years late or whatever. Um because so many of these problems just like get pushed up until the, the sort of back end of things. And yeah, as no matter how much technology or whatever's involved so much of the constraints on these designs and the little decisions made about, oh, 
you know, okay, we can probably get away with like a hole here because later on I'm going to do like so much of that stuff yeah. lives in someone's head. But you also, you get the reverse negative effect of because design's not complete when you start, the more you build, you're effectively reducing your options later because you're, you're adding more and more constraints yeah, yeah, yeah. because you've actually built something. So you could get to the end and have what could have been an option to have a huge positive effect on the project, but you can't do it because you've already built everything else. And now you've only got this small window to do whatever you were doing. So it's yeah, not thinking it all the way through. And obviously they think it all through to a level of detail, but not going detailed all the way through before. And we understand why they can't do it because we don't want 40 year construction projects, but it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty poor in terms of its effect. And your, your, yeah, your point again is like totally right. Like you, you, as you build things, you, you take away your options, but, and oftentimes the first few things that you build, like the first, like 25, 50% of the job is like big, chunky civil things, right? We're going to whack some piles in here. We're going to do the box here. And yeah, they're defining like defining the, the space e that you have effectively. Yeah. And they're like the real easy things to like, not easy things to build, but like, they're not usually where a lot of the complexity comes. It's like when you're trying to do commissioning systems and, um, but they're also the things that are real hard to move if they're wrong. So you're, you're really boxing your, yourself in. The options and ability to improve gets drastically smaller as you go. Where, whereas where that's probably actually at the most important end of how that structure or building will perform. The quote that really uh, reminded me of this on one on I won't say the project or the team, but uh, talking to one of the the core fit out uh, teams that were on one of the sections of this major infrastructure project in the UK, and so sort of asking them how the delivery of the project went over the last few years, um, the comment was it actually would have been alright if we didn't have to take we didn't have to install every panel four times. And they did like the math on on the fit out of this project and worked out that on average they installed each panel two point something times. Oh. Because they would do something, then some part of a system design would get completed for Minigate 8B or whatever it was. And then you'd have to rip all the panels off and run new cable. It's like, you, there's no, it's, you just can't build a job like that you need to finish the design before you start building i think yeah there's also the other part which is certain parties wanting to hit certain milestones to release bonuses and things like that uh and they'll do that no yeah that is, that's that's all there's yeah it's yeah alignment of incentives are a massive part to this you know um yeah. getting to certain uh you know any, anyone can hit a milestone if you reduce enough of the scope what can be done? <laughs> Part of the obvious. Um, and the obvious thing, design before you construct. Uh, I think that's off the table is, is, is a fair statement. No, I think, I think that that's like one big key part to it, which is uh, having a strategy for the delivery of the design and saying, we've got to get like these certain packages of work designed to some percentage of completeness or some stage of completeness before we and that needs to be a very clear red line or a gate that we go through like these things need to be signed off as not changing and agree yeah, we confirm it we works in X this or y. space given or whatever that sort of milestone is 
yeah whatever it is but um you know i don't think it's feasible to get 100 percent design completion before you start construction that's not really that that's not going to give you the most effective program but um but yeah being having a a much clearer delivery d- design delivery plan and being really rigorous when the the nibbling starts on like oh you know you're basically there and we've only issued four different changes this month you could probably you know get going on that like yeah having a clear like no this is going to potentially impact something that is a clear line so definitely that's one part of it um i suggested in the thing that i wrote some some like two other ideas that i don't don't know how um they're kind of like amorphous and not really tangible and i'm not really sure how much i believe in them but one was like thinking about whether going back to the alignment of incentives thing carlos i thought about whether there was a different contract model that tried to align the incentive of all the parties delivering the project so that there was less of an incentive to sort of uh invent change that then came back as design change um that you know encouraged certain teams to start different construction works before other bits of the design was completed um so a better way to align incentives i'm not really sure in the detail exactly what that would look like and it would probably be different for a lot of projects and then the other idea was was just breaking the projects into smaller pieces so having a project that got a design to a certain percentage complete for structural or something and then or uh, you know breaking things into smaller pieces so that when it does get delayed there's just there's really not even the option to just horse on building something uh because that's a separate contract or like that you know you can your problem can yeah. propagate so far basically detailed design usually sits as a subcontract to the main contractor so it's the main contractor is basically getting it in the air from the client and they're incentivized to try do both at the same time if the if the design contractor was directly employed by the client you've then got this contractual wall which is safer because the contractor won't do anything until they know that they're not going to rip it down, which will be at a loss to them. Yeah. And that might be, <clears throat> there's an argument for design and construct. So that might be a bit extreme to, to just take the design out. But the, the other approach is to just split the construction scope smaller. So instead of like station box construction and fit out and systems and commissioning or something like box construction, so that way, even if the um, there is a problem that's building, that you lose the incentive for someone to just horse on fitting it out, even though the design's been delayed. Yeah, because the con- that's that there's like a firm end to that contract. Again, you, there are pros and cons to that. So the, the the good news is we're seeing more and more design teams using using Apex. So at least they're actually starting to have plans that people can access because design programs are always a bit of a. Uh, a tough one to locate, should we say? So, um, yeah, there seems to be an improvement. You're not going to, you're not going to, with that, with that, such an obvious plug, Carlos. You're going to also insert the like, uh, use my link, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. slash Carlos for a Would discount you like a this demo month? today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So, <clears throat> so my voice is still going from earlier in the week. HS two. About, go. Where are we? 
three to six months ago, they announced that they were going to delay certain section of the scheme for two years. And it's pretty much the section that runs from Old Oak Common to Euston. So they have this race for the trace, which is Birmingham to Old Oak Common, keep that to, to time and get rid of the section to Euston for now while they can sort of option a Euston station because the cost went up and focus resource on the main sort of part. Now, this two-year delay uh, at the time, we thought it was a bit odd, but it actually sort of improve anything because they're just going to off-hire loads of staff. They're going to mothball sites. Really disruptive for the contractors, um, especially after ramping up so many team members over the previous two years. Uh, it's just come out of the news that the two-year delay is actually going to cost an extra £360 million, which we kind of saw coming. Pretty poor that we're actually seeing that confirmed, uh, which means that number is probably bigger than what they're saying. Absolutely nuts considering the disruption and the fact that we're delaying. Yeah, I, I don't know where to start. It's like the worst uh, returns policy. You know, you get those really uh, dodgy uh, uh, retailers where it's like, oh, yeah, you can definitely return this, but we'll charge you shipping, a restocking fee, uh, like transaction fees. And in the end, like you, you spend 50 quid and you get back like five, five quid or something for returning the item. Uh, you claim to have called this. Uh, I, I know you said you claim to have called this on a previous podcast that you predicted it. So if that is true, Carlos... Olu is going to find that clip and insert it here. If not, though, he's going to insert the sound, like a duck noise or something. Um, and so people will know that in, like, now. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we'll know. The truth will be... The truth. I was just going to say, as a former QS, you, uh, you probably know better than most that, like, for a quantity surveyor, like, math is a, a creative expression. Can you see how that that would have uh, that that outcome could have been come to? Yeah, I think first of all, like if we look at some of the sections of HS two, they weren't removing staff; they were just putting them elsewhere on the job. Especially since it's only a two year period. If you off hired them all twelve months later, you're rehiring them all. So it's it's a too short a period of time to actually sort of get rid of everyone. You're then spending time, money, materials, resources, actually getting site to an actual point that you can leave it. You can't just sort of stop work and leave it for two years. You can have all sorts of issues. So you're then doing months of work to prepare for this delay. And then you're going to have to mobilize the site again, basically 12 months later. You're delaying the scheme by two years. Two years of prelims is way more than the cost of reducing the team for a section of it. So like that is massive. So you're going to be paying for whatever team that you reduce down to, you're going to pay for them twice. So you'd have to reduce the team by more than half just for the prelims alone to be, to be worth it. Um, and you're definitely going to be paying off. I, I don't know what contractual mechanisms they'll have for supply chain, but they're not just going to go, okay, cool. Yeah. We'll see you in two years. There's going to be, there's going to be a cost associated with that loss of earnings, like all sorts of things. So it just didn't make sense how that would actually save money. The thing that could actually end up saving the most money is if they redesign Euston so it's not four and a half billion, they get it back to the two. So that is a big meaty bit of money and maybe it gives them enough time to actually do that design, which is kind of in line with what we were just speaking about. So that could be the positive outcome. But, but yeah, like... Yeah. But do you not think that this is just really like a, a bit of a 
a bit of a move to give them cloud cover to can the stretch to Houston. Like, uh, we tried <laughs> to delay it to revisit it. That's going to increase the cost. And it's really just like our only logical uh, outcome now is to, to, to can it. If they don't take it to Houston, I won't use it. There's no way I'm traveling to Old Oak Common to get okay, a well, to get a fifty minute train to Birmingham in 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 <laughs> take, 20... it now, take it now take it transport for London or network rail you're gonna lose at least fifty quid a year in in transport fees because Carlos won't use it I speak for most Londoners when I tell you that the time it would take to get past Euston to Old Oak Common already removes the time saving to use HS2. Where you can get on a train which goes into the middle of Birmingham, and HS2 doesn't go into the middle of Birmingham, so you've got to travel at the other end. So there's no benefit from going to Old Oak Common and getting ISP2 to Birmingham when you can go to Euston and get a fast train anyway, which goes right into the centre of town. So, uh, yeah, there's my other prediction. Well, you've heard it here. There's a boycott <laughs> of all the South Londoners that live in. <laughs> yeah. They won't use it. Yeah, yeah. Most people haven't even heard of Old Oak Common. I guess you have to say Willston, and then he goes, what the fuck? That's not in London. <laughs> but anyway, maybe <laughs> I'm, I'm special and that won't be the view, but I'd bet on it, that's for sure. Right, so <laughs> we'll that's a good, that was a we'll good ender. Um, that is all the time that we have today. So as always, <laughs> thank you very much for listening.